0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for all that you've done for us, the opportunities we have to share you with other people in our lives. And we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and lead us in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him, and as he was teaching, saying, By what authority do you teach these things? Do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, Who, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. What baptism, the baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, then he'll say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? And if we say of men, we fear, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is an interesting thing because the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had political authority and power. Not really religious authority, but it was recognized by the quote-unquote church, the temple, the way they ran it. And they were always interested in who has allowed you to do anything. And you know, it's kind of interesting because when you go around churches and you start teaching or and stuff, a lot of times you'll be asked, well, who, whose authority are you preaching under? Whose authority are you teaching? Who who's recognizing you as a you know as a teacher? And you know, it really should not be that hard. If somebody is an anointed teacher, you're going to know that they're an anointed teacher. They're going to They're going to have the authority of God. They're going to be a good teacher. Uh, They don't need necessarily to have some group that says you're a teacher. Doesn't that show something? Doesn't that tell you something about them actually? The people who are asking? Yeah, yeah. It tells you more about them than It tells you that they have no no, uh, uh, discernment. They don't, don't understand the spirit of God. And they're looking for man's approval of anything. Now, is it wrong to be ordained and have the diff- the approval of man? Not necessarily, but the man's approval part is just man's approval. Uh, and a church can take and ordain somebody. They go, well, we recognize, and it's by putting a stamp. There is a you know thing about that. We've put our stamp on this person that this person understands God's word and is a good teacher. And there are churches that hold very tightly to ordination because they want to make sure that. These people teach according to their doctrine and, and are, are correct. And so there is some place for it, but there's also this attack. Yeah. It gets done to a lot of traveling evangelists. Well, who are you? Who are you? And to one degree, there is this important thing that a pastor probably needs to ask that question. Well, who are you? Where, where do you come from? What do you, you know, you want, You're wanting to be in my church and, and say something, but who are you? Tell, talk to me and tell me about who you are. And then that pastor uses his discernment to say, yes, you can speak in my church, or there's absolutely no way you're speaking anywhere, you know, anywhere near my church. But you know, this is, Jesus was gaining power. And remember just a couple of days before the event that we're talking, he triumphed entered into Jerusalem and the people are yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, you son of David, you know, they're they're lifting him up. And so, the scribes and Pharisees are seeing uh our powers being diminished. You know, there are people that are following you know, if he was to say something and, and lead a revolt, they are gonna follow him and, and we're gonna be left high and dry. Oh yeah, they felt very threatened at this point. Jesus is getting popular. They were feeling threatened by John the Baptist, which is why Jesus used John the Baptist to say, okay, tell you what, you tell me what authority John the Baptist had and I will then tell you what my authority was. And they could have gone one step further. Well, if we accept John's authority from being from God, then he's gonna tell us that his authority is from God. And they already knew that, but they wanted him to say he was outside of their authority so they could go after him for being outside of their authority. Heresy. The Pharisees and scribes and heresy. yeah, they, want, they, they could charge him for heresy. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not there, you're not following us, you're, you're doing your own you're doing your own thing and there is a danger of people that go around doing their own thing for God. Then, you know, we need to learn discernment and the more that we're in God's Word, the more we're taught by God, the more we will hear when somebody says something that just isn't biblical the alarm bells go off on our head, and we go, that doesn't sound right. And it's very important if you're like me and you listen to Christian radio or watch Christian television, because there's a lot of pastors and teachers out there that, whether on purpose or just accidentally, sometimes will teach stuff that's not biblical. And you need to know God and the Spirit well enough that you say, okay, yes, I understand that what they just said is not, not correct. Berean, check it out. Check out why it's not, you know, if you get that thing of saying it's not right, go check it out. And this is why I've shared with you. I want everybody to check out what I say and get into the word of God and check out what I say because I could just as easily teach something wrong as anybody else. Not on purpose, not trying to hurt people, but it can happen. And we need people to say, just like Paul said, you know, he prays the Bereans. He goes, you guys are checking out what I'm saying in the scriptures to prove what I'm saying that is good. We want people to be able to say, I'm checking it out. I'm going to go into the Bible. I'm going to look it up and see what it is. And one thing about this is I say this. I've spent a lot of time under a lot of different pastors. And you know what? I have found no pastor that I agree with 100% of the time. None. I don't expect people in this church to agree with me 100% of the time. I know what I believe and I know why I believe it. And I can defend what I believe and give you the reasons why I believe it. And if you don't want to believe it, that's between you and God, as long as you know why you believe what you believe. You know, but if you just tell me, well, when I was 20, 20 years old, my pastor or my Sunday school teacher taught this and i believed it ever since, and you've never gone in and looked it up, I'm gonna tell you that's not a solid enough reason to believe whatever it is you believe. You need to know what you believe and why. Be good Marines, go into the scriptures and say, this is what I believe. And I've shared with you, there's numbers of things that people disagree with me, I'm going to say, fine, you're in good company. The majority agree with you. All right? But this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. And we want to keep this in mind. Be good students of the Word. This is why we're going to do the class on how to study the Bible, which will challenge you to dig deeper into the Word of God. Because I want people to be able to look at the Word of God and say, yes, I'm finding out more about God's word. And because the scribes and Pharisees were upset because they were losing power. Anybody who loses power will usually, especially if they're in the flesh, get angry about losing power. You see it all the time in politics. Somebody gets voted out of office and they they have a pity party about how the people didn't like them. Or somebody comes along and kind of takes center stage away from them. Have you ever been around somebody who's used to center stage and all of a sudden they've been knocked down a couple pegs and You know, they're full of sour grapes. They're they're That person's just terrible. They've backstabbed them, whatever it might be You're in the business world and somebody gets promoted above somebody else and all of a sudden, you know Everybody's against that person because they got promoted and why didn't this person or you know I should have been promoted and I didn't get it and you know This is where the scribes and Pharisees are they're losing their reputation amongst the people. People are following Jesus, a righteous person, and they're playing their games of righteousness. You know, we talk about the Pharisees, and we always want to be careful because in our day and age we think of Pharisees as these really awful terrible people and many of the ones that Jesus had to deal with were. But many of the Pharisees were also very godly people trying to seek God to the best of their abilities and trying to follow the laws and and please God. They just didn't understand how to please God completely. They thought their righteousness came through their works. And so we want to be careful. We don't want to just broad stroke all the Pharisees and say all of them were bad. Now, because many of them weren't. They were kind of confused. They didn't understand grace. They didn't understand mercy. But how many Christians don't understand grace and mercy? If you've been in some churches, there's a lot of churches out there that don't understand grace or mercy. You'll be condemned for anything and everything that goes on. And so we look at this, and Jesus just asked them, you know, answer me this question. And their reasoning was quite interesting. Well, if we say it was from heaven, then he's going to say, well, why don't you believe me? Okay? If John's baptism was from heaven, then why aren't you believing and listening to me? Because I, he's, and they know that he's going to claim it's from heaven. They already know where his claim is going to be, because he said... The Father and I are one. I, I was, you know, before Abraham was. I am. You know, he's already claimed that he and the Father have a special relationship. So they know, when he asks this question, they know how he's going to answer. If they say it's from heaven, then he's going to say, well, then accept mine. My authority is from heaven. And then they go. If they say it was from the world, which is what they want to want to say, they're afraid because the people like him and the people liked uh, John the Baptist. When we are trying to deal with things as men-pleasers, we'll make a lot of bad decisions. They made decisions based on being men-pleasers. We, you know, we can't say that it's for man because you know, lots of people think they're great prophets. And we as a Christians are in a place now where we have to be very careful in some ways, but at the same time be very bold. When God says something's a sin or something's wrong, we have to be willing to say, God says it's a sin and I agree with him. And the world is not going to like it when we do that. I have to watch my step out at the prison because if I say some of the things that are politically incorrect, I can get fired. Does that mean I'm not going to say something when somebody asks me a direct question? No, if I'm asked a direct question, I'm going to answer it. And I'll take my chances. God helped me before I got the job, he'd help me after I got the job. I'm not gonna go out of my way to try to cause problems with it, but I'm also not gonna hold back because God has a standard. And we need to be able to understand that there is going to come a time when to be a Christian is gonna be detrimental to us, maybe even physically, but definitely from jobs and from popularity. And when Christians say that homosexuality is a sin, that living together is fornication, that you know, uh, divorce without reason is wrong, you know, people are going to look at you and say, well, you're just so out of step. You, know, you haven't evolved like the rest of the world in your morals. Well, you know what? I don't want my morals to avoid. <laughs> you know, I don't want my morals to evolve. I want to stand with God. Because God has morals and he has given us solid morals reasons and things to believe and we need to be able to hold on to those not accusatory you know we don't go up to every person that's sin, sin you know you shouldn't be living together that's a sin you know that's not what we're supposed to do but also when we're asked is this okay with God nope it's not okay with God it's not okay that you're living together in fornication it's not okay that you're living together as a homosexual couple couple it's not okay that you do this that or the other thing God says it is a sin if we're asked, we answer. I'm not going to go around chloride knocking on the door and say, you've got to stop this, you're, you're living in sin, you've got to stop this, you're living in you sin. i would <laughs> have to knock on almost all of them, yes. But, but still, even if it was, that's not, even if there was only a handful, that's not what we're called to do as Christians. Now, when we teach, when I preach, I'm going to say, this is a sin. But I'm not going to go out and condemn everybody for their sin because it ultimately is between them and God. Because there's way too much of our own issues. All, every one of us have sins we have to deal with in our life. You know, it's, I can't go around pointing out everybody else's sins because I'd have more problems because I'd have to look at all my sin. And I've got numbers of sins I've got to deal
1: with. Yeah, my translation in the last part of verse 25 there, it reads, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? Mm-hmm. But what uh, What's that exactly
0: John the Baptist preached repentance.
1: Oh, okay. You're talking about John the Baptist. Right. Okay. Right.
0: Yeah, if you, if you said John's baptism was from heaven, then why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you repent and change your ways? Which, in essence, shows you they know that they didn't listen to his message. Okay? Did you, did you catch that in there? Why, then, did you not believe them? They already know what he's going to say. They know, they, they have this idea that John has a message and they recognize it as being a message that quite possibly from, came from God, but they are refusing to bend their knee. Repeat
1: again the part of John's message that...
0: Uh... Repent. Remember, John, John's, John's message was repentance. And when we, went, when we were doing the baptism of John, remember we talked about, though repentance is in the scriptures, it was not really part of the Jewish mindset. The mindset of the Jew was not that you repent they, their mindset was that you took your sacrifice to the to the temple and you offered your sacrifice and that covered your sin and it had nothing to do with repentance now we go through the Old Testament and we see repentance all over the place okay it's not that God didn't teach repentance it was their Practice didn't. So this
1: repentance was
0: kind of. Was, was it them? It was a Pharisee? It was a jab at everybody. You guys, you need to repent. It isn't just take your lamb to the altar and give, a, give your sacrifice. Most religious Jews believe that because they're a Jew, they're automatically going to heaven because they're a Jew. They're God's chosen people. Again, that doesn't match even the Old Testament teachings, but it is the mindset that a lot of Jews have. So
1: I expect uh, verse 25 is here to say John's says John's baptism, but uh, I would have expected to have said John's uh, preaching on the tents. Uh, where
0: did it come from? Baptism means something a little different to the Jews than it does to the average Christian. It should mean the same thing. In Judaism, if you changed rabbis, you were baptized in the name of that rabbi. And what it was is the same picture we have. You're dying to one way of thinking and being raised to life in a new way of thinking. okay. We are baptized in the name of Jesus, or the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, It's all the same as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Depends on which of the verses you choose. We're baptized in the name of Jesus. I'm dying to what I believe in the past and being, agreeing to live according to his doctrines. Outward expression of an inward change. I'm, I, my change is supposed to be that he is now my Lord, which means I'm going to follow him. So baptism is much deeper than most Christians even understand. And it was to this day. John's baptism was a baptism unto repentance. Quit following the rules and the rules and all the rituals and repent. Now, he didn't go out and say you could do what you wanted afterwards. But that repentance is what he was baptizing in. And this is why all through the book of Acts, you see, they will ask you, whose, whose name were you baptized in? And most of the time, it was the name of John. Now, Paul, when he baptized, baptized in the name of Jesus. He didn't want them saying, "I follow Paul." Okay, Uh, so he was baptizing in the name of Jesus, and that means a whole lot. You're agreeing to obey and follow Jesus, and give up your old way of life and thinking. Just stop, stop doing stuff. It's not enough. It has to be it. Repentance, because that means to turn away from, and it needs to be sincere. And it needs to be sincere. Well, if you turn away from it, it's going to be sincere. Just giving it up and not turning back to God is not repentance, because you're putting—you're usually putting a opportunity to fall. To so return to. It. Yeah, that's the person who quits drinking, says, "I'm going to give up drinking," and keeps three bottles tucked away in the back refri- back cabinet, just in case. It's the person who gives up their pornography and keeps all the passwords to all the websites on a piece of paper in a drawer just in case, because they don't want to have to restart all this stuff. Okay, That is not true repentance, because you're, if you put something in just in case, you're going to fail. The drug user who goes, well, I'm going to keep some pills back there in the back, back of the drawer just in case I have a really stressful day and need it. Uh, I'm going to give up all my one-night stands, but I'm going to keep my list of names, <laughs> just in case. You know, we do this in just about all of our, you know, almost every scenario that we have. We kind of keep, oftentimes keep this just in case. We have this little place. If I fall, God, well, you know, it was just it's my it's my really bad part of my life. I I can't control it. So hopefully you don't have to get caught. But yes, a lot of people will give up. And then you're always wondering, did they give it up because they got caught and they're, sorry, and they're sorry they got caught? And most kids, when they say they're sorry, and, and you know, when, you know, it's because they're sorry they got caught. They're not sorry that they, and that's not just kids, but anybody. You know, I'm really sorry, not, not because I'm sorry I did this, but I'm sorry you caught me, so I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. And when it's that kind of a repentance, it's not valid. It's not going to, be, not going to last. It's not going to be real. And this is the way we as humans do. I'm a really good person. I'm better than most of the people that I know. Well, quit measuring yourself against most of the people you know and pick somebody who's really good and see how well you stand up. And actually, you should be your, putting yourself up against God, who's perfect. You know, Our standard when we compare ourselves to God, we lose. You know, we lose. It doesn't matter how good you are. You could be the best person that's ever walked the earth, and if you compare yourself to God you're going to fail because he's perfect. His standard is perfection. And the world and people and even most Christians, well, God, I'm, you're really lucky you've got me, God. Look, I'm better than, I might even be better than most of the church in your own eyes. And God says, well, you're not perfect. You're not, you're not there. And this is why we need to make sure what's our standard. When we start looking at how well we're doing, what's our standard? The Pharisees and the scribes had their, their, their standard, you know, and they had all kinds of loopholes around God's standards. They had all these little rules, and as long as you followed all these little rules and, and side rules and, you know, you could get around this. You, with And Jesus is saying, you're not following God. All you're doing is trying to follow a bunch of rules. And you bent the rules to do them so that you can keep them. Now, did all Pharisees, you know, go through all the loopholes? No, there were Pharisees out there that really wanted to honor God and do the best they could. And, you know, we, in our day, we know we, we have this really bad opinion of them, but not all of them were bad. Most of them were very legalistic. If you didn't follow the rules, they would be, have a problem with you. But here they're going, you know, hey, we didn't want to follow him. We didn't like his message. His message was just repent. And repentance is much more than just following, even following rules. Because that is saying, God, I am sorry for what I'm doing. I'm turning away from my sin and coming to you. And the most important part about repentance is that little U-turn that goes back to God. Because if your eyes are on God, getting past that sin is a lot easier than when you're sitting there struggling, trying to fight the sin. And that's why it's very important to repent. They understood. They understood. They knew the Bible well enough to know that God said, repent. Now David said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord God. And Take not your Holy Spirit from me. All through the scriptures we say repent. Jonah's message to Nineveh was repent for in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. And they repented. They turned from their sins. And they gained 200 years before Nineveh was destroyed. And all through the scriptures is this message of repent. Repent. How do we get saved? We repent. You know, and repentance is not the biggest part of our salvation. We turn from what we're doing and we turn to God. We don't go, God, I want to uh, forgive me of my sins and I'm just going to keep doing them. If that's your attitude, you haven't repented. And you haven't turned to God and say, God, I need to get out of this. God expects us to live righteously, but it's not. we don't live righteous to try to please him. We live righteous because of what he's done for us. We give him tithes and offerings, not because he sits there and he's an accountant and saying, OK, you've only given 8.2% of your money in your lifetime, so you know, you're out of luck. No. We give him because we just say, God, I love you so much, I want to give back to you. Whether it's three pennies or $300 million, whatever it might be, it's, God, I'm giving to you because I just love what, I love you so much. And if, and if somebody is giving just because they feel they have to give, stop giving. You're giving for the wrong reasons. You want to give because God says He loves you and you show His love, your love back to Him through your giving and your service and your activities. You know, nowhere are we to serve God just because it, we're looking to please God, because there's nothing we can do that's going to please Him. You know, how much money can we give that God's going to think it's a pretty good gift? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the hills that they're on, and all the gold that's in those hills and all the land. You know, even if I gave God 110% of whatever I make, it's still not going to in, in impress Him because He owns everything. So you know, when we give it back, it's God, I just love you so much, I just want to give to you and and leave it at that. And then we see this whole response they were not willing to turn to god's message and it didn't matter who this message bearer was it was john it was jesus It's later on going to be paul and the disciples and they're still not going to listen for the most part because it is a a repentance and those of you who have spent time witnessing how many times have you had people tell you well it just can't be that easy all you're telling me to do is ask Jesus into my heart. You know, accept him as my Lord and Savior. Well, that is just too easy. Well, if it's that easy, why can't you do it? <laughs> because it's not really easy. To make him my Lord and Savior and turn away from my desires is a pretty big deal. I mean, at beginning, it's just a of things you have to do. Well, we do nothing, really. We allow him to change us. Now, I've also heard people go, well, you make a decision to follow him and make him Lord when they tell you it's too easy they really mean I just don't want to let him be my Lord so I'm not going to do it now because it really is easy the other thing they're thinking in the back of their mind is well I'll just do a lot of good things and God will be happy with me That's my mother. now let most people it's more it's most people I'm doing more good than bad so I'm going to be okay and when they've heard the gospel, they have no excuse at all. They don't have an excuse anyway because they know it's not good enough. You know, they know that they're not good enough to please God. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying to do all the things to try to you know, purify themselves in their, own, in their own works. But the gospel message is a simple one. Just go out and accept it. Make him Lord and Savior. But when you make him Lord and Savior, man, that is, that's going to change your life. Because all of a sudden, lots of things you can't do. Because he's given all kinds of commands. And the more you get to know him, the more you're going to see those commands, and the more you're going to have to change your life. And, but you know what? There's nothing in my life that I've given up that I regret giving up for God. I might have thought that I was going to when I first started giving it up, but you know, and as I look back, there is nothing in my life that I have given up that I regret giving up because God has given me so much more than what I give up and this is a danger for all of us you know God and I've said it before you know and we probably will never say it we will probably never say these words you know God you are just so lucky you've got me look how good I am but don't we live like that so often you know God I'm special you know look at this I'm so much better than some so many of these other people God you're really glad you should be glad I'm here I'm the one doing you know whatever it is you're doing and if it wasn't for me it wouldn't get done I don't think I could ever see myself saying that. You might even you might believe it or something. I don't think you... get what I'm saying. Most people are never going to say those words. Yeah. But their attitude is such that they live like God, you are just so lucky you have me. If it if it wasn't for me, God, you you'd be in trouble. This, this job God, nobody else is doing this job. You know, and we want to be very careful with that. We want to serve him but not with that attitude of God, look at me for what I'm doing. And we want to be very careful with that. All right, verse uh, 28. But what think you a certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said son go to work today in my vineyard and he answered and said I will not but afterward he repented and went and he came to the second son and said likewise and he answered him and said I go sir and he went not. Which of these two did the will of his father? And they answered him the first. Jesus said unto them verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you for John came unto you came unto you in the way of the righteousness and, and you believed him not but the publicans and harlots believed in him and you when you had seen it repented not afterwards that you and that you might not believe him This is kind of an interesting statement because he's saying to them you guys think you're the good guys. You think you're the good good sons, but when, it, when you're being called by God to do something, you might even say, yes, I'm going to go do it, and then you don't do it. This is a serious place. We need to all be aware of this. And he goes, the first son? He says, no way, Dad. I'm not going to go work today. And then he kind of realized, well, I better go do what Dad wants. You know, most of us have had children, and how many of us have had children that said, you know, no, I'm not going to do it, and they went and did it, or hey, I'm going to go do it, and they didn't do it. You know, well, you know, Dad, I, I got busy and I just forgot. You know, yeah, well, you didn't keep your word, you didn't, you didn't do what you were asked. You, know, uh, you were being disobedient in all of this, and you're disappointed in them. Whether you see it as, disappoint, as disobedience, per se, you're disappointed they didn't go out and do what they said they were going to do. And if they go, well, no dad, or I'm gonna I'm not gonna do this, and yet they go out and eventually do it, it's like, okay, good, you're you're showing some signs of responsibility. I've been around churches long enough to know that there are many people in the church that say, Yep, I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. God, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna do this for the church, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and witness, I'm gonna go out and, and evangelize, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live this way, and then immediately stop doing it, if they ever start. And here Jesus is saying he'd rather see somebody who's doing it in an obstinate way but finally ends up doing it than the person who says, yeah, sure, I'm going to go do it and then never does it. And this is something we have to see. We've seen it all in you know, all of our life with our kids in the workplace. There's all kinds of people who say, yeah, I'm going to go do this and then they never do it there's all kinds of reasons why I got busy and I just forgot I I this that or the other thing or I really didn't want to do it I just told you I was going to if they were honest and God is saying Jesus is saying who is the one that's obedient the one that actually goes out and does it you know and if you ever thought about the patience of God God is looking for obedience even if it's delayed and how many again how many times do we that was the first son. He says, no, I'm not going to go do
1: it. But he, that wasn't the favorable answer.
0: It was the wrong answer, but the right action. Because he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He's not being obedient to the father.
1: Instead
0: but he did the job. So in the long run, he was obedient. His action was obedience, even though he said the wrong thing. He turned around, he turned around he repented, right. and did what was right. Whereas the other son said, yeah, sure, dad, I'm going to go do it.
1: Uh, they answered the first, so they got the right answer.
0: The Pharisees are more like the second son. Yeah, sure, God, we're going to follow you, and then they don't. Yeah, they gave the right answer. They said the first. The first son. Uh, yeah, they say the, 80, the He says. And then Jesus rebukes them. With that yeah, word. the first. Yeah, because he's saying the first son, the one that the one that gave the wrong wrong answer, but went out and did the job. And then Jesus Well, because he's, he's pointing out who they are. They're, more like the second. they're the second son. The scribes and the Pharisees are the second son. They understand that the one who does, who does the work is the obedient one. Now, in their mind, they're giving the right answer and doing the work. And Jesus is, is telling them they're not.
1: So Jesus was trusting that they did make that mental leap and
0: figure it out. Well, he's going to explain to them that they're not. Okay, in their mind, they're doing the best. Yes, God, we're going to follow you. And they go out and do it the way they want to follow him rather than the way God says to follow him. Well, yeah, well, he's going to go. He's going to tell them the next statement. And the next statement is why we know. Yeah, because that second statement is verily I say to you, the publicans and the, and the harlots, the sinners, are going to enter the kingdom first because they have followed through repentance. And they are changing their lives. Okay. The scribes and Pharisees thought that they were good people. You, we're obeying God to the letter of the law that we have created. Not necessarily the way God said to do it, but we're following the, the rules according to the way that we're interpreting them. And Jesus is saying, no, you're, the, you're that second son who's saying, yes, we're going to follow you, but you're not okay, following Pharisees
1: him. You are pretty sharp folks on the
0: line. Oh, very sharp. Okay. That, you're, that you are the second son. Basically saying you're the second son. Yeah, okay. They're thinking that we're not even one of these sons. We're the one that says yes and goes out and do, does the work. And Jesus is going to turn around and say, you're the one that says yes but doesn't go out and obey. And he's saying, you know, all those sinners, those people you think are terrible, awful sinners, they're the ones that are repenting and truly following after me you guys are saying, yes, we're going to go out, and then you're not following God's way of doing it. Okay? And then when they answered, they're going, well, yeah, obviously this, you know, the first one, he actually went out and did it. But in their minds, they're going, but we're neither one of these ones. You know, in their minds, they're neither one. They're the one that says yes and does. You know, so they're, they're right on both sides of it in their mind. Wouldn't that be the right answer? That would be the perfect answer. The absolute, but that wasn't one of the choices God gave them, Jesus gave them. The right answer is, yes, God, I'm going to do it and go out and follow, follow him. Okay, That's the right answer. I'm being honorable to my, to, to, the, to my Lord, and I'm following him. But Jesus is saying, I would rather have people that say, no, I'm not following you. Repent later on and follow me. than the one who says, I'm going to play a game with you, God. I'm going to tell you I'm following you, and then I'm going to follow you the way I want to follow you. Which may not be his way and probably isn't his way. And there are many people in, in churches that are just that way. They might, everybody think that they're following God. You know, look how good I am. You know, I'm at church every Sunday morning, Sunday night. Every night the church is open. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I can, I can give you all the answers that you want to know, but I'm not living. And even when you watch them, they're not living God. They're, they've never shared the gospel with anybody. They don't live a life outside the church that would say, I'm a Christian. And when people look at them, they go, well, this person's a pretty big hypocrite. They go to church and then live like us the rest of the week. This is a critical thing for us. How do we live before others? Now, granted, we're going to have sins in our life. We're going to make mistakes. But when somebody says, well, this person's going to church every Sunday, but, boy, Friday and Saturday night, man, they're drinking all the time, and they're crowding and they're having a party, and you know, their house is the place to be for the party on Friday and Saturday, and you know, I don't know about this church stuff that they're going to, but man, they're, 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 they're the place. <laughs> you know, uh, that businessman, wow, you wouldn't know him from any, you know, he says he's a Christian, he goes to church all the time, but he's cheating all of his customers and gouging them, and, you know, and Jesus would say, these are the second son. Oh. And that's the sad thing, and it's an old joke that goes, you know, there's two reasons people don't come to church, they either know a Christian who doesn't live at it, or they don't know a Christian who's invited them. And it really is sad, though, because there are so many people out there that aren't living, a, even trying to live a godly life. And they're the ones that people look at and say, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want any part of it. And I want to say, well, that's not what a Christian is. Don't, don't be part of what they are. Yeah. and I've shared with you there was a young man that worked for me when I first moved to Kingman and he quit, he quit the, you know, the job and I took him aside on his last day that I knew that he would work because <laughs> I knew he would call out for the rest of the week. And I took him aside and I go on your next job I, w- I want you to do one thing for me and I'm going do not tell anybody you're a Christian. He got all bent out of shape. I'm going you do not live like a Christian. Do not tell people you're a Christian. Either that or start living like a Christian at work. I go you are the laziest worker that I have in this place. Don't tell people you're a Christian. Again, we're not trying to say you have to live a perfect life, because you're not going to live a perfect life. But you need to live a life that when people look at you and say, generally, this person is living a godly life. The police aren't at their house all the time. They're not arguing with everybody. They're at peace with everybody. They're not drunk. Now, that's one thing
1: that really impresses people. And I've seen it around here. You hear a lot of talk, but there's people that have been reformed. And it's just nothing but a great story. Than more than, uh, any other
0: thing. And the Reformed is what really changes. When, when they see somebody's life and they see change, yeah. it impresses people. They're going, don't, don't know what the, how they got there. Maybe It might be that church that they're going to. Or they're, they're talking about God all the time anymore. Might be God, but they're not quite ready to go. But it's starting to plant a seed. When they finally get to the point where I am just sick and tired of being sick and tired of my of my life, then they start looking and saying, they've changed. They're different. They don't act the way I do. Maybe, maybe I should look into what, what they've got. Maybe I should ask. Maybe I should seek it out. Our job is to live a consistent life that makes them want that change when they finally get ready for that change. And of course, speak. <laughs> Say the words. You don't really want to worry about what they are saying about you. As long as you're living the right life, because eventually, if they're speaking these things, it also means that they've noticed the difference. They don't understand it, and I can tell you, I've had plenty of people over my life go, "Why are you so different?" Because because I am so different. You know, does every single person ask me that? No, but even at the prison, there's been. In, in the two years I've been there, there's been about four or five prisoners who come up, like, Why are you always smiling? Why do, do you never seem to be down? Gives me an open door to tell them why. When they see a changed life, number first thing they're going to do is they're going to be waiting for you to fall. Okay, because that's human nature. You know, people who give up drinking usually fall back off the wagon, you know, and, and then it looks bad and, to everybody. But you know, when they see a long term change and they see that attitude and that loving attitude coming out of you that says, I'm a Christian and I'm going to live for God, they're gonna, you're going to hear things like, you know, and I've heard it, believe me, you're really weird. I don't know how you can be this way. You know, thank that's you.
1: Not, it's as funny as all get out, but they don't even have to say anything. Many, many times, be it for instance, to be in some world, do something or say something that's a little out of order. And I'd see him. All of a sudden look over at me you know, see my.
0: Reaction. It's important for us not to condemn them when they do these things, but to show God's love. Now a lot of Christians get so holier than now that they're, you know they're, they're so bitter and angry type of person that nobody wants what they have. What they want to see is that loving attitude that we show love, we show kindness, we show forgiveness, we show God's mercy. Then they look at us and say, you know, and it might be even, well, what do you think about this? Well, it's sin. Well, well, how can you be around us? Because God loves you and he has mercy on you, and so do I. But you know, we've got to be careful with all of this because they need to see God's love. They need to see his mercy, not the condemnation. When I, when I worked at a particular store that I worked at, I managed. Uh, it was in one of the greatest population areas of homosexuals. And I ran a store of 30 people, and there were six of us that were straight, six out of 30. And my assistant manager asked me one day about it, and I was able to share with her you know, that homosexuality is a sin, and, but that's between them and God and, and all of that. And, she's going, you know, and she was surprised that I knew who all the homosexuals were in the store, including her. <laughs> and you know, she goes, well, what do you think? I'm going, well, keep it out of my store. It's between you and God. You know, but I also don't want to see heterosexuals <laughs> making out in a store. You know, that's just not what you're supposed to do when you're at work. You know? so, but you know, it's one of these things where my attitude toward her really surprised her, because I just told her straight up, it's, God calls it sin, I call it sin. But it's between you and God. It's not, a, it's not a huge sin. It's not worse than every other sin. Everybody's got sin, and it's all between them and God. And it was an opportunity to witness to her and tell her about Jesus and the, and the gospel message. You know, but we do it in love, not in condemnation. The Pharisees condemned everybody who didn't live the way they wanted them to live. Well, you, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, you, you know, you're, you're an awful, terrible person. And, you know, we need to be very careful of that. If we start putting ourselves up as something to be, you know, so much better than you, we're in trouble. Because we're not better than anybody else. We may not have the outward, obvious sins that some people do. You know, uh, we may not be going out to the bar and getting drunk every week. We may not be going out and picking up prostitutes or picking up, you know, one-night stands or, or telling lots of lies. But, you know, we still have a lot of problems that we have to deal with. Jesus said that if you've looked at a person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Man, that's a tough one. You know, if we don't tell the whole truth, we've lied. If we're angry at somebody without cause, we've committed murder in our heart. You know, those are a lot tougher to get rid of than the drinking and the drugging and the, and the actual physical activities because the mind is someplace where people don't always know that you've sinned. You know, and they don't know that you've been angry with them and committed murder in your heart. They don't know that you haven't told the whole truth. And God's saying, I want all of it. I want all of you to be following me. And so we need to be very careful. We show love to everybody. We show mercy to people. Doesn't mean we tell them that, no, what you're doing is okay. No, what they're doing is sin. And if they ask us, and it comes up in conversation, we can tell them. No, being an adulterer is sin. Being a a fornicator is sin. Being a drunk is sin. Okay, Having a drink is not sin, but being a drunk is sin. That's what God tells us. And many people cannot just take one or two drinks. They are drunks. And they need to get and say, I have a problem between me and God. I am sinning. And we want to be very careful about how we deal with it. You know, do we get angry at people because of their sin? Well, if we do, then we're having a big problem because we're not really thinking that our sin is all that bad. I'm not going to get angry at people for their sin. Unless it directly affects me and they're trying to draw me into their sin, I'm not going to be angry and, and critical of it. Because if I start judging everybody, I'm trying to say my sin's not that bad and yours is terrible. And if you, you know the old adage: if you're pointing a finger at somebody, you've got three pointing back at you. You know, and Jesus said, you know,
1: well, this go
0: with? Judge not you be the scriptures, but you've got to complete that by what. Manner you judge, you shall be judged. There is a judgment that is made. If somebody says, "Is this sin?" Absolutely a sin. But I'm not going around. My job is not to go around judging people for their sin. My job is to tell people that it is sin. Now the world does not distinguish between it. Get, you get get that straight right from the beginning. If you tell somebody that what they are doing is sin, they're going to feel like they've been judged. Because the world, and we've talked about this, we as Christians have the statement we love the sinner and hate the sin. The world does not separate the two. What you do is who you are, and you cannot separate the two in, in the world's mind. I believe that a lot of times you don't have to say much. I think
1: that the conscience that we all have works on these people. Oh, it does. Uh, but they just-
0: When you don't participate in their sin, whether you say anything or not, they're feeling judged. Because we bring God into every situation that we're in. And we've talked about this. Everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit and God goes with you. So when you're in a place where sin is abounding and you bring God into it, it makes them feel a little uncomfortable. And... I've I've used my example. I ran a a restaurant where my boss was foul-mouthed in every place that he went, but he never opened his mouth. And it wasn't because I told him he couldn't. It was because my presence there filled that place with God's Holy Spirit. And when he walked through the door, I believed there was no way he could use the language that he wanted because he would be convicted. Not because I ever said, no, you can't use God's name in vain and no, you shouldn't be talking like that. God permeated it. As you've said, you're there and people will look, they'll say something and all of a sudden they'll know, the presence of God is here. They don't recognize it as the presence of God, but it's the presence of God that brings that conviction on them and says, no, you can't act this way because you know that it's wrong. You might be trying to stay away from Christians, you might be trying to stay away from church, but we bring God everywhere we are and it convicts people. Yeah, and when we're when we're out there and God is brought into the presence, people get uncomfortable. And you know that's when they attack us. They attack us because they're uncomfortable. And it's much easier that when you feel that, and we all do it. If I feel uncomfortable in a situation, what do I usually do? Is it in my flesh, attack? I want, to, I want to find that weakness in it. I want you to know that you're just as bad as I am. You're going to react if I attack you. If you've got people attacking you, they're feeling the presence of God. If they're reacting to your presence, they are feeling that conviction. God is being, being shining his light in them, and they don't like what they see. And the easier way, rather than de- dealing and repenting, is I'm going to attack the light. I'm going to knock out the light. <laughs> you know, the, the light shines in, and you see the darkness. You want to put a blanket over the light or not you know, destroy the light. You don't want to go clean up the darkness. You want the, the, the dirt. You want to extinguish the light. Yeah. My house is dirty. I turned on my lights, and I saw how dirty the house is. Instead of cleaning, I turned the lights off. <laughs> That's what they're doing. You know, Looks good to me, it's too dark in here, I can't see the stuff in the corners over there or on the, on the roof or on the walls. You know, I'll clean this little area right up in front of me where the light, you know, where my lantern's at. When we bring the light into, the, into their lives, instead of cleaning up their life, most of them will say, let, let us get rid of the light. So when you are attacked for, for just being you and walking with God, don't take it personally. The attack is not on you. Even though they're going to make it a personal attack, the attack is not on you. Unless you're doing something stupid. And there are people that are just stupid. You know, they're after condemning and attacking people and they deserve to get attacked back. But if you're there just being a Christian and and living your life and they attack you, the attack is not on you personally. It's on God in you. This is why Paul was able to say, hey, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, all these things, but it's all for God. And I'm looking toward heaven because it's not me. They're not after me. When the disciples were beaten, they went and they were martyred. They're going, it's not us that they're upset at. It's God in us that they're upset with. And, you know, there's a freedom in understanding that. When somebody's attacking you, it feels very personal. But if you can really understand that what they're attacking is the God in me, God is more than able to defend himself. He doesn't need us to get upset and defend him. He is more than able to defend himself.
1: I'm sure some other people have. I have uh, a few times in my life where I've noticed that people are actually trying to provoke me.
0: If they provoke you, your light's being shut down for a period of time. And that's what they're trying to do. Shut down the light, prove that you're just nothing but a hypocrite, and try to ease their conscience. So we need to be able to understand that who they're attacking is not me. They're attacking the God in me because they don't like the light that's being shown on their life, and it's making them uncomfortable. And this is why it's important for us to be around the world. You know, if we are Christians, and, and as much as I say, come to church and be taught, I never want to see people never do anything else. Get out in the world. Be around the lost world. If you if you're not out there, find something you can do. Join a club. Get into a sports. Get into some activity that you enjoy, and be around the world so they can see the light of God, that they can see God shine. Hang out with them. You know, play play bridge and spades and hearts or whatnot. You know, I don't don't really recommend going out and playing poker and stuff with them, but you know, spend some time with them and get let them get to see a Christian in action. And feel the presence of God, not condemning them, not not getting after them, but just say, "This is what God is," you know, and be able to let the light shine on them, because most of the world does everything it can to avoid God's light.
1: You know, that's very important. I remember years ago in our, our circle friends, we all get together. We had an Orthodox Jewish fellow, a time. but he was Orthodox. Capital o. But this guy came in with all of us, associated with us, talked with us, ate with us, everything else. Sat in while we played cards and drank and everything. And I still remember that guy to this day. And he held true to his beliefs and everything, straight as an arrow.
0: And it makes you, it makes you as a lost person think a little bit sometimes. Well, they seem to be having fun. We as Christians need to have fun. In ways that the world consider fun, to me the most the most fun I have is coming to Bible studies. But you know, I'm not opposed to going out and and playing hearts or spades or or cribbage or or playing games with with the with my family and, and the world, because they need to see that Christians can do what the world considers fun too. That doesn't mean go out in the bar and get drunk with them. It doesn't mean go out and. <laughs> You know and have an orgy with them you know no it doesn't mean any of that that's not the kind of fun we're talking about but they need to see that Christians are people they can live in the world, in the world. You know, well gee that Christian all they ever do is go to church if that's all you're doing you might have a problem with them because you're not reaching out into in, to anybody and in touching their life you know again we want to be careful with that because I'm not saying if you if you're somebody who's had trouble with alcohol don't go to the bar and hang out with them uh, because eventually, you might be tempted to, to participate in that particular activity. Uh, if, you're, if you're somebody who's having problems with impure thoughts, don't go to the beach where everybody doesn't have clothes on, you know, or practically no clothes on, as it might be the case. And say, well, I'm just going to go out with you and, and watch all these people. <laughs> and be tempted. <laughs> you know, we want to be careful about what we choose to do. But you know, there's, there's a lot of things we can do. We could join some of these different groups and, and go to the historic society, go to the you know different groups and be part of what, what they're doing and be able to bring God into the midst of what's going on and say, here's God. Here's God. I want you to see God in action because I'm bringing him in here. I'm bringing the light in whether you like it or not. Now, they may not want you to be with them, but again, don't be condemning. Don't be critical of them. And God's spirit will make them uncomfortable anyway they will be uncomfortable just because you are bringing God and his light is shining on their life and their conscience will be pricked that little thing they thought they dug away and put into a middle of a of a bushel barrel is going to get the light shining through the bushel barrel and touch onto their conscience and they're going to feel uncomfortable you even if you don't say a word they'll be uncomfortable because God is present all right let's close in prayer Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we are light and salt to this world. Help us to be able to find ways to shine your light in people's lives in a loving, non-confrontational way that you will be lifted up and that people will see you. Lord, if anyone listens to this that doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them of their sin and have them repent of their sin and come to you as their Savior and, and accept you. If you shall call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And, and then we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.